Uh, I want to pick up where we started last, where we started and kind of left off last week. A little bit of review. Um, we saw in our in our annual verse here and in that chapter why it was so important to continue. Because you know, remember we looked at the fact that perilous times. We're, you know, in these last days, there are going to be perilous times, and they're going to wax worse and worse. And so, uh, there's, uh, you know, there's an, an opposition against standing for the truth. As I was thinking about that, I, I was thinking about uh, just kind of that principle, and and one of the thoughts that came into my mind is this past spring, uh, Betsy and I, we we like to take Fridays off together. That's our mutual day off usually sometimes that gets changed but um, on that day we want to spend that day together the purpose is that we can just be together and uh, take a day and once a week and and really you know spend some what they call quality time together and last spring uh, one of the activities we found fun was going around and and finding different waterfalls and I don't know probably a lot of you are aware and have been to maybe more than we have, I don't know. But there are, are a lot of waterfalls in just right here around Castlegar, um, or in the West Kootenay for sure. And it, we enjoy just hiking to them. Uh, you know, it's they're just really cool. And in the springtime, when the runoff's coming, they're they're roaring, uh, you know, heavy and so on. And so we visited. I remember Deer Creek. Uh, uh, I remember Fletcher Creek, Wilson Creek, uh, Glade Creek. Um, those were some of the ones we we went to. You know, we've been to Tulip Creek many, many times, and McPhee and some of these waterfalls. But uh, one thing you kind of see around most of these waterfalls, usually the way they're they're kind of uh, I don't know how they form and so on. But but basically, it's it's amazing when you look at them. And you recognize that over time, uh, they have worn out a big canyon almost. That was another fall we went to. was actually over by Christina Lake uh, Canyon. This, it's kind of like a falls, but it's just, it was, you know, that's the Kettle River comes through there. Just in a scary how fast and uh, furious that one is in the spring. But it just erodes the rocks. You know, it can, it can, it's amazing how liquid water can wear away solid rock. But, you know, you, you've all seen that, and you know it can happen, even though uh, when you think about it, it seems, you know, unplausible that, that this water can affect rock like that, but it does. And, you know, the friction that goes on between the world and and our Christian beliefs, because the world is going upstream, we're, or maybe we're going upstream to the world, whichever way you want to look at it, uh, we're not going in the same direction. And that friction over time uh, has a tendency, if we're not careful, to erode our convictions and erode our stance. And that's why churches all across Canada today are not standing where they once stood in history. But we are focusing on this charge that Paul gave to Timothy, that God gives to you and I, to continue in the things that we have learned. And as the friction that the world, the opposition of the world against the truth, 
And we even saw it happens in churches. There's false teachers. There's carnal Christians. There's there's a tendency uh, in Christianity to kind of flow along a little, a little bit with the world. And uh, it's hard to stand. It's hard to continue on when you're when you're struggling against all of those things. But we must continue on. We must stand. We must uh, not even just stand still. We must stand on the truth and continue to to advance in the truth. I'd like you to turn to uh, chapter four of Second Timothy. I'll let you know this: our text this morning. I haven't gotten there yet, but don't be afraid. Um, it's going to be in Acts chapter fourteen. But I'm I'm to set this up by looking at a couple other things. In in Second Timothy chapter four. Let's look down together at verse number 9. Paul is wrapping up his letter to Timothy, and he says in verse 9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. And you know that Paul's in prison in Rome. Uh, he's, he knows his hour is at hand. Um, he's going to be martyred before long. And he wants, to, he's, he wants to encourage Timothy, and he wants Timothy to come and encourage him, I think, as well. But he says this in verse 10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed into Thessalonica, uh, Crescens to Galatia, uh, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And then he goes on and mentions other things. And, and, you know, when you read this chapter, it kind of does touch at your heart because Paul talks about, uh, you know, that no man stood with him. And he, I think he's feeling somewhat lonely. Paul loves people. Paul loves the believers. And he wants to be around them all the time. But he's isolated now in prison. And uh, he mentions a couple names here that are familiar to you. Demas, uh, Mark, which is John Mark. Uh, we, you know, he's mentioned, he's sometimes called Mark, sometimes he's called John, sometimes he's called John Mark. Um, and then Luke, and of course Timothy is in this scenario. And out of those ones, I see basically, if you think about those three names that are listed there, Demas, Mark, and uh, Luke, I, you could almost say there's like three categories of disciples, you have Demas, who sadly is famous for his departure. Demas is the deserter, the, def- the defector, uh, the one who uh, didn't continue. He didn't continue, and we see one of the reasons why we don't continue is because he loved the present world. The world uh, had the allurement of the world. The world had something to offer that attracted the heart of Demas. And, you know, I believe Demas is, is, was a true believer. Uh, he was a servant along with Paul the Apostle. Um, but at some point, the world's allurement became too much. And it drew Demas away. And, you know, sometimes uh, it's still, that, that scenario still plays out today. We know of Christians who, you know, are saved and they're serving and they're they're going along, but at some point they defect, they desert, they go AWOL uh, because the world has, you know, there's something in the world that snared them and pulled them out. 
And sadly, that's the case. And, you know, we, the message is not this morning on that particular issue that we need to continue. There's another disciple here, uh, Mark, as he's mentioned there in uh, verse 11. And we know that John Mark was at one point in, in the story of his life that we know in the Bible... Uh, he also traveled with Paul and Barnabas, was serving the Lord, and he deserted for a time. He left the battle. You remember back in Acts chapter, uh, I think it was in Acts chapter 13, when, they, when Paul and Barnabas or, uh, yeah, were you know, at Church of Antioch, and they said separate them for the work and the ministry, and sent them off, and, and they had John Mark to their minister, and, and they got to a certain point in that missionary journey, and John Mark left. It doesn't really give us a lot of details. It just says he departed and went to Jerusalem. But we know that later in chapter 15, uh, Paul and Barnabas are going to set off on another missionary journey, and Barnabas suggests again that they invite Mark to come along. And you remember well that Paul said no way. He was not impressed uh, he must have been a little bit, I think, annoyed at John Mark's departure, which tells me that, you know, it wasn't that he just had a uh, something that was necessary that he attended to or something like that, you know, that he left on reasonable terms. Uh, you know, it, it basically says, a matter of fact, and I'll read it to you out of uh, Acts 15, it says, But Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So you can kind of, and you, we know the contention that Paul felt so strongly about this that he and Barnabas actually fell out over it. So uh, you know that all of that information tells me that uh, Paul really considered Mark to be a deserter in the sense that he didn't go to the work, he you know didn't stay true, he didn't follow on, he didn't continue, but uh, he fell out. But then we see here in Timothy where he says, Bring Mark with you, for he is profitable unto me. And uh, profitable for the ministry. So Mark is one of these, like, not like, you know, we see basically Demas is the deserter. Mark was kind of a, you know, he had a, he had a lapse there. He had a, you know, I want to call him a seasonal disciple. Uh, maybe that's a little unfair but you get the point. He uh, fell out, but then he got back. We don't know if Demas ever came back. And then we see Luke, who is the faithful one, and Timothy, who just continued on. But the reason why I went through all of that is because I want you to see with me that there's some reasons why Christians don't continue. One is like Demas the world gets a hold of them and, and you know messes them up and they don't continue on faithfully. Mark, it seems to me, uh, had, a, had a place in his life where he didn't continue, although he did get back, but he didn't continue in that point, basically, I think, because of the hardness of the journey. It became difficult. The travel, the... Uh, just the rigors of the ministry that they were enduring, you know, that they were involved in, uh, keeping up with Paul and Barnabas and serving in that way. There was something that was so hard about it that he didn't continue with them into the work. 
There was a place in the journey where it just became too hard. And that's a reason why sometimes Christians either, uh, they maybe not fall out all the way, but they might just back off and just say, you know what, this is, this is just too hard. I'm going to pull aside. I'm going to lower my standards. I'm going to, I'm going to let down some things because I just can't carry the load. And it's kind of that idea that I want to think about as we go to, to now uh, Acts chapter 14. Because the way I'm not trying to minimize or uh, deny that the journey is, is arduous. It's hard. And there are times when uh, continuing on in the truths that we've been taught, the things that we've been assured of, because of all the friction, because of all the uh, difficulties in that, it's not easy. It's not easy to live the Christian life. It's not a, um, you know, we, we want to encourage and talk about all the ways we're blessed and all the good things, and we should, and we should be thankful. But we also uh, want to paint the picture truly. You know, it's like when Jesus called disciples, he said, look, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. And I want you to know if you are struggling and you're often tempted to quit and tempted to let down and just sometimes feel almost ready to throw in the towel, uh, you're not alone in that. That difficult struggle is not something that, that I haven't faced and something that I haven't had you know fight against me as well. And many of your brothers and sisters, all of them I would say, have faced the same kind of battles. But I see in Acts chapter 14 a fascinating, kind of an illustration, and I want to call it an inspirational example from Paul. Paul was such a, a courageous and, uh, what's a word for won't quit? He just had that ability to not quit, regardless of, of the... Uh, situation. So in Acts chapter 14, let's start to look at this text a little bit at verse number 8. Let's just read verses 8 to 10 and we'll start there. He says, it says there, and there sat a certain man. Now, uh, just, I guess, look at verse 6 for a second. They're, they're on their way. They're fleeing out of uh, one place and they come to Lystra or Lystra and Derbe, uh, cities of Lyconia. And the region round about. And, and there they do what they always do. Verse 7, they preach the gospel. Alright, so they're there in Lystra. And in verse number 8, it says, There sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being cripple, a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had uh, faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, as I was reading that, and I'm, I feel like I'm getting now to the message, my heart just said, You know, you never even prayed. So, forgive me. Let's take a second and let's bow and pray and ask the Lord to teach our hearts, shall we? Uh, Father, we love you. And Lord, I, I knew when I started into this message in the text, um, 
but I don't want to I don't want to venture there without you and we need your help Lord I, I don't want to preach ever without your spirit and help upon me and Lord would you teach our heart would you use this scripture and Lord you recorded it for us you inspired it you you preserved it so we would have this uh, to challenge to help to uh, do a work upon our lives and Lord as we see the message today I pray that you would just Lord every individual has a specific need touch the need and meet the need and work in the heart as you would uh, as you see the need as you see fit minister to us we pray we ask this in Jesus name amen let me give, let me give you this outline quickly um, I see here a revelation of power. Number two, a refusal of pride. And then the resilience of Paul. This is what I see in the chapter. Um, this man was impotent in his feet. He was crippled in such a way that he never had walked. It was from his mother's womb. He was born with some kind of disability. And he was unable to walk. He had a real need this wasn't, um, you know, this wasn't someone, this wasn't like a broken bone that would heal. This wasn't some pulled muscle that with some therapy he could uh, overcome. He, was, he had a real need, a need that, uh, you know, no doctor could fix, no medicine could cure. Uh, this was a, a, a lifelong need. And, you know, we, we take for granted uh, our ability to walk about freely so often and I know uh, because I love I love to I love hiking and skiing and and getting outdoors and things like that. That whenever I see somebody in our town that's uh, handicapped in that way, I'm often moved. To, you know, when I there's a a man in town recently who walks with a, an extreme handicap. I mean, his legs are bowed, and he has such a the way he walks. He almost looks like he's going to fall down every step. But somehow he can do that. And usually where I see him is coming down uh, the hill from, you know, up by the Husky down to or toward the downtown Shell. He's coming down that hill. And uh, I don't even know how he does it. And when I see him, I, I think to myself, man, if I was... I, I, this, often what goes through my mind is I thought if I had his body, I think I'd just sit in a chair and... Wouldn't, wouldn't venture anywhere. I mean, it just looks so difficult uh, for him to move. And yet, I, I applaud the fact that he's out walking around. But uh, this man wasn't even able to do that. And back in that day, they didn't have electric scooters. They didn't have uh, medical braces. They didn't have things. And, and they didn't have uh, disabilities, uh, you know, like a the government would send you a check or anything like that. When you were disabled in that day, it, it, you were relegated to begging. That was pretty much your only hope was to go out and sit on the street with a cup in your hand and beg for alms. And so this was this man's life. And Paul had the power of God on him. I, I had an illustration to mention, but I'm just going to mention it and not give you the whole thing because our time's running out. I heard on the radio, I just want to 
mention this because some of you will know who I'm talking about. I was listening to the radio recently, and we don't get a lot of Christian radio, but there's now a station that you can pick up. I think it's a Seventh-day Adventist station, but they have some Christian programming on there. And I heard a name and a voice that I hadn't heard in years, but it was the voice of Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, some of you know that name, know that ministry. Uh, Johnny, was she's a lady that uh, at, at age 17, in a diving accident, was made a quadriplegic. And she, um, that was way back in the 70s. And she went through, and you know, just after her accident, she had some suicidal thoughts, some very deep depression, anger. You know, 17 years old, she was an active person and now confined to a wheelchair, paralyzed from the neck down. And yet, she didn't quit. And I really appreciate, um, you know, when you, when if you've known of her ministry, you you would know that uh, she's very. She humbles us because um, even in her condition, uh, she's been so instrumental to serve God. She she learned to put a paintbrush between her teeth and paint and sold her paintings. And then she wrote, she's written over 40 books. Uh, she's had a worldwide, really an international ministry uh, for many, many, many years and is faithful. And the last... When I heard her a few weeks ago on the radio, I know she's getting up in years and she's now uh, having a lot of pain and bed sores and just really um, going through more trials. And yet she's on the radio encouraging others and serving the Lord. So uh, I just wanted to make a mention of somebody that I see who wasn't healed like this man and yet she's not quit. She's been uh, quite... Quite an encouragement to millions. But anyway, anyway, uh, we see here Paul comes into this town. He meets a man with a real need. And all, all I have time to really tell you is that Paul was always walking, a spirit-filled man, the power of God on his life. He, of course, being an apostle in the apostolic age, had you know the gifts, the spiritual gift of signs and wonders and healing. And so... He was able to meet the real need of this man, not because of it in his own strength, not because he could do anything. It's like when Peter saw a similar man, he said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And Paul would say to uh, this man, not, he didn't say these words particularly, but, but I know the heart of Paul would have said, look, uh, you know, uh, healing and, and miracles have I none, but, but God can. And in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, this man was healed. This man was made to walk. We see him leaping and walking in verse 10. And uh, the people uh, in verse 11, uh, they, they were amazed. We'll get to that in a minute. But all I can say is to you this in our time frame is that, um, you know, we may not have, we don't have today the same spiritual gifts that they had in the apostolic age, but we all do have spiritual gifts, and we we need we have the Holy Spirit. Remember back at Acts chapter one verse eight, uh, the disciples were told in Luke to tarry in Jerusalem till they were endued with power. In Acts chapter eight or uh, chapter one verse eight, um, you know the power. He said, uh, 
but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And so we need to minister, we need to walk in, we need to, uh, to meet the real needs. Remember what we saw in Timothy last week? Remember how he said there was all of these people as things were perilous times and things were waxing worse. There was a lot of folks who had a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Remember that? The world has seen a lot of that. The world sees that all the time. Religion with no power that really can't meet needs any more than uh, some 12-step program, some uh, you know, other psychological help uh, people can have. They, 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 there's a lot of religion that's powerless. But we need to be filled with the Spirit of God, walking in the power of God, and able to meet the real needs of people. Um, Paul was a man filled with the Spirit. A man that uh, ministered and operated in in the power of the Spirit, not in the power of his own flesh. You see, and we need that always. We need to continue on uh, walking in that. Sometimes we get this idea, you know, we kind of think, or maybe we don't think it, but this is the way we live. We go through life uh, just operating in our own strength, our physical abilities. We just navigate through, you know, our own wisdom until we come up against a need. I mean, we hit somebody with a real need, and then all of a sudden we're like, man, we need to pray. We need to fast. We need to get serious because we need God's power to bear onto this situation. You know, maybe you're, you know, you know I'm going to go and meet with my nephew next week, and I'm going to share the gospel on a certain day, and, and you start to get serious about praying. Let, let's, can, let's be honest. We've all done that, right? But, you know, Paul, he didn't wait until there was a, a need that he needed the power of God to, to uh, come to bear on that. He, he lived in it. He walked in it every day. And you know, we need to be equipped every day, always, because we're going to come across people with real needs, uh, situations that need somebody who's walking with God right now. Not somebody who maybe can get get ready in a day or two if you give them some time. I mean, you know, we, if you're going to really be able to meet some needs in people's lives, and sometimes, you know, those who walk with the Spirit of God and they're living for the Lord, and they're meeting needs and, and helping people. They don't even realize they're helping them. They don't even know what, what effect uh, their life is having on them. But because they're walking with God and the Spirit of God is using them, they're able to meet some needs. So we see the real power. And to do that, we need to continue. We need to abide. Remember what Jesus said, Abide in me, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. We need to be abiding in the Lord. Well, let me, let me get to the second point, the refusal of pride. What happens? Verse 11. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of of Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and called Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, they even had priests for Jupiter back then. Uh, What did they do? Verse 13, this is fascinating. Uh, Which was before... 
their city, brought oxen and garland unto the gates, and would have done sacrifice with the people. Which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that therein is, who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful season, fulfilling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. I really wish I had more time. Um, that's my fault. I took more in the beginning. But um, there's a lot of great stuff in there. But let me give you just the heart of it. So this miracle happens. Of course, these pagan people have uh, a lot of strange pagan philosophy. And they say, uh, this must be the gods. Paul and Barnabas are gods come down in the likeness of man. And they, and they want to do sacrifice. They bring in oxen and garland. And they're going to have this ceremony and it's interesting it says they said in the speech of the Lyconians and I wonder if at first Paul and Barnabas didn't know what was going on I mean the, the people are getting all stirred up and they're thinking what is this, what is this happening and and then they they figure out or somebody's translating to them uh, they think you're gods and they're going to worship you and they're going to uh, you know offer a sacrifice and then they're like whoa 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 wait a minute no no we don't do that and this is, you know, Paul and Barnabas refusing uh, their worship. Uh, they, you know, of course, you can you can imagine that um, they they could have, if they were carnal, if they were worldly, if they were false teachers, they probably would have allowed this to go on at least to a degree and say, well, you know, maybe you shouldn't kill this ox, but but um, you know, they would have received some of the glory, but not Paul and Barnabas. They didn't want any glory. They didn't want to receive any worship. Um, and that's how you tell, you know, a false teacher, even a carnal preacher, uh, are in it to promote themselves. You know, they, they exalt themselves. They, they uh, like the applaud. You know how the, the Pharisees, they like the chief seats in the synagogue. They, they enjoyed the, the, you know, the... Greetings of, oh, rabbi, rabbi, and, you know, this kind of thing. But Paul and true servants of God, they don't do that. Um, they're not into that. Like, I, I have a verse where, you know, Joseph, we talked about Joseph on Thursday, how he was brought out of prison to interpret Pharaoh's dream, and Joseph said this, it's not in me. I don't know how to interpret dreams. I can't do any of that, but God can you see, they, they deflect all the praise, all the worship to God. That's what a true servant always does, is reflect the praise to God. Well, we've got to get to the third point. Let's pick up the story of verse 19. And this is kind of fascinating, because here we just saw they were going to worship them, they were going to sacrifice. And now, verse 19, there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. 
Isn't that incredible? I mean, what a reversal. We talked on Thursday about a reversal in the other direction. You know, those that were weeping for the night, but then joy came in the morning. Here, uh, you know, they were praising Paul, and, and now they're stoning them. I mean, that's just amazing how quickly, how fickle uh, humanity is. But some Jews came, they, you know, they got Paul, and maybe because he refused their worship, I don't know how, how they could turn on him so quickly, but they do. And now he's been stoned, you know, threw rocks at him, and uh, they took him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Verse 20, Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when he had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Now here's where really the message, the heart of what I started with, and the title is, What do you do when someone throws a rock at you? What does Paul do? I mean, Paul, can you imagine if this was you or me? I mean, he could have gotten bitter. He could have said, um, are you kidding me? Here I, here I you know, came to help you. This man was healed. I'm here to preach the gospel. And this is what you treat me? You, you throw rocks? You know, you try to kill me? You dump me outside the city thinking I'm dead? Uh, he could have been bitter at them. He could have been bitter at God. He could have said, Lord, I was you know, following you, filled with your spirit, uh, trying to serve you, and it's been hard. It was hard when Mark left because the journey's hard. Now we get here and look what happens, and, and you know, I'm just done. I'm done with it. This is just too much. He could have certainly done that. He could have said, you know, I need some time off. i got to have a sabbatical after this. You know, I have PTSD. I could have, I'm not making fun, but, you know, I'm just saying he could have, Certainly had, and we would have excused him. We, but look at what it says. Did you notice how he says in verse 20, Howbeit as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and then notice this, the next day, the very next day he departs with Barnabas. I would have thought he would have took a day off, you know, rested, licked his wounds a little while. But it says the next day he goes to Derby, which is a 40-mile journey. And it says, verse 21, and when he had preached the gospel to that city. It's, it's, like, it's like he didn't miss a beat. It's like this didn't set him back uh, one, you know, 15 minutes. It just, he just got up, walked on, and continued preaching. So my title, what do you do when someone throws a rock at you? Well, if you're Paul, you get up, you continue on, and you keep preaching. And isn't that such a lesson for you and me? When things get rough in the journey, we're tempted to throw in the towel, we're tempted to just say, like Mark, hey, I'm going back to Jerusalem and you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll get back in things in a little while, but I just need some time. That's what a lot of us would do, and nobody, a lot of people wouldn't fault you for it, because you know that's that's kind of what people do. But Paul was of such a caliber that he just got up, walked on, 
and kept serving. And I appreciate I've met people, and some of you are some of those people that I've seen where you have gone through difficulties in the past and some very arduous times and trials and persecutions and you got up, you walked on, and you kept serving. And I commend you for it and I want to encourage all of us. This time of COVID is not easy. We're not happy about how we're meeting. I'm not. I I try to keep positive about it, but it's not what we want. And it's hard. But let's continue. Let's keep getting up, keep walking on, and keep serving. I'll close with this story. On July 4th, 1952, 21 miles off the coast of California, 34-year-old... Florence Chadwick walked down the beach on Catalina Island, got into the Pacific Ocean and hoped to be the first woman to swim the 21-mile channel back to California. It was foggy that day and the water was exceptionally cold. And she she had already swam the English Channel, the first woman to swing, swim the English Channel both directions. And she was swimming, she, she doesn't, she, fatigue is not usually a problem, but the water was quite cold and it was so foggy she could barely see the boats that were accompanying her. And finally, f- over 15 hours in, she felt like, I just can't go on. She, her body numb from the cold and, and she you know, had pushed herself so far that she said to the people in the boat she wanted to be pulled on, on board. And they, they tried to encourage her to just keep on a little longer, keep going. But in the thick fog, she said, no, I, I'm, I just can't go on. And so they pulled her on board, and, and then they sailed just a little bit, and they realized the fog was so thick, but they finally realized they were only a half a mile from the shore. And when she saw it, she, she said, I don't want to make an excuse, but if I had, could just have seen the shore, I think I could have made it. You know, sometimes we don't see the shore, but heaven's shore is there. Sometimes behind the fog, but just keep on. Somebody gave me this poem years ago. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile, but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns, and many a failure come about when we might have won had we stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint in the cloud of doubt. And you never can tell just how close you are 
It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. And when things seem worst, that's when you must not quit. That was um, written by a man named Whittier. What's his name? I can't. John Greenleaf Whittier. Anyway, somebody had actually given me that in a frame uh, one time. And I always remembered that poem. But, you know, sometimes the, the shore is closer than we think, but regardless of that, we must not quit. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my race. Let's keep on continuing. Even when it gets hard, let's be faithful. Let's walk in the power of the Spirit of God. And when someone throws a rock at you, what do you do? You get up, you walk on, and you keep on serving. Let's pray.